Hello? Are we on the air? Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast, where we ask not what's in your head, but what your head is in. Prepare to be inspired. Inspired to change your environment, change your mindset, and ultimately change your life. Willpower doesn't work, people. If you truly want to move away from stress and anxiety, you have to start with your environment. With your environment. So let's go. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Happiness is loading. Is loading. Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast. Hello podcast world, I am your host Ian Highfield and on today's show we have a professional golfer who has won six times on the European Tour. I connected with our guest around about 18 months ago as he's now making the transition from world class player to performance coach. So he actually reached out to me in order to discuss all things elite performance and human learning. Well, over the last few months, we've not only nerded out on all the reading that we've been doing about mindset, but we've actually started to work together and collaborate. And we're doing this with the goal of helping future athletes be able to chase their goals and their dreams and be happy and fulfilled in the process. What strikes me most about this podcast is how much our guest loves what he does. Firstly, how much he loved the game of golf, loved traveling, and loved competing, almost to the point where he was oblivious of the amazing achievements he was making. And now it's absolutely clear how much he is loving learning and starting to help other players become better versions of themselves through his performance coaching. So check out the conversation. I had with the super infectious and super friendly six-time European Tour winner, Mr. Simon Dyson. Simon, how are you, pal? Ian, good. Well, I would say good to see you because I can't <laughs> see you. Good to speak to you again, mate. Yeah, and you. What's what's going on in your world? Uh, lots of homeschooling at the minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they send in schoolwork in for fun at the school where my two girls go to, but. It's good. We've got very good structure to every day. They put the uniforms on. They know that's learning time. And then when they're finished, they can go and get changed. And then that's playtime. So. Mate, that is genius. Anyone who listens to this, there's already a little, if you have kids, there's a, a nugget of gold there. Get them to put their uniform on. Was that, was that advised by the school or did you think of that? No, one of the one of the um, one of my f- wife's friends is a teacher, and she said that's what I do with my kids. So we've done it since first day of lockdown, really, since the first day back at school. And uh, every time they go on a Zoom call, my eldest is like, "None of the other girls are in the school uniform," but I'm like, "Yeah, but they obviously have a different way of how they are teaching their kids." And I spoke to her teacher today. And she said, I love the fact that you put them in school uniform. She went, it shows discipline. I love that. Yeah, that's great. That's honestly, mate, that's amazing. I'm, I wish that uh, I got that nugget of information earlier on in the podcast. I'd have been, I'd have been yeah. sharing it. Um, yeah, it'd have been useful to a lot of parents. Well, apart from being an, an educator, homeschooling extraordinaire, um, <laughs> For the, for the podcast listeners, can, can you just introduce yourself and just, uh, you know, say a little bit about who you are and, and, and what you've achieved in your sporting career? No problem. Uh, my name's Simon Dyson. I'm an English professional golfer. Uh, I, played on the European, I played on the Asian Tour first for one year. Um, I won a few times there and then I played on the European Tour for 18 years. Uh, I won six Six tournaments in Europe. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> that's very, that's very humble. Um, and, and what do you do now, Simon? What's 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 your goals at the minute? Uh, I've gone down the coaching route. I've gone down the coaching route. The idea came. I was out injured with uh, I torn my uh, tendon in my left wrist, so I was out for a long time. So I went and did my TPI over in LA, 
Went and did that. Loved it. Thought it was the fitness route that I wanted to go down. But when I was away, when I was got back, I, I didn't play that good. Uh, played on Challenge Tour for a year. And it was more when I was watching players I was playing with. I'm watching them on the range and then I'm watching them on the course and they just couldn't seem to, you know, you'd watch them on the range and I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy, it's unbelievable. And then I play with him and I'm like, what's happened there? He's a totally <laughs> different player and he's shooting 77, 78. And I just thought, I really feel like I could help somebody like that who hits it that good, but just can't transfer it. Um, and that's the route I've gone down, like the um, coaching side, but more the, I, I still love the fitness side of it, but it's more the performance side and trying to get them to deliver on the course instead of just beating ball after ball. That's awesome, mate. So what, what I want to tap into a little bit today is um, your, your background, basically, what, what you did as a kid, um, when you first got on to the European tour and you start playing for millions of euros and or pounds probably then maybe, I don't even, I don't even yeah. know. Uh, and then you, you win, you win um, millions of euros in prize money and then the career ends and you've now got this super, super high motivation for, for coaching. And, you know, we speak a lot. You're, you're always wanting to learn and chat with people and progress. And, and what I want to know is, I want to know where this motivation, this desire to compete, and, and obviously this success, where, where do you think it, it, it stems from in, in you? Because this podcast is about positive change. So I like to have people on who are very positive, who are very motivated, who um, often have, have achieved highly so that they can share their knowledge and, and wisdom with, with the listener. So if we, if we rewind the clock all the way to when you were a kid, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what was it that, that helped you become good at golf and, and, and play to this, this level, et cetera? Yeah, I think, well, my dad was a professional footballer. So he was, he was a really good sportsman, good tennis player. Uh, my uncle, his brother, played for Tottenham Hotspurs in the 60-61 double winning side in, the, wow. in England. Um, wow. His son was a Davis Cup squad tennis player. Um, my other cousin was a professional cricketer. So all of a sudden, you've got all these different sportsmen who have who were very good players and they were all super competitive. And I think I just kind of grew up around that. And then obviously me and my brother, we played every single sport there was, you know, at school, basketball, cricket, football, rugby, tennis, squash. And I think because he was three years older than me, I just wanted to beat him at everything. Yeah. And I think that's where my competitiveness came from. And it was never in a malicious type of way. If he ever beat me, it was never like, you know, spat my dummy out and went, ran off. It was always like, right, I want to beat him next time. So I'd, I'd push myself even harder. So do you, uh, Yeah, I think that's where it came from, really. I'm going to ask a question, Simon. Do you, do you think you were gifted with, like, good genetics uh coordination balance you think you built those skills and you think that competitiveness did it come from your environment like yeah having, having that that older brother because there is some research that i think the last i don't know however many hundred meter runners going back 20 30 50 years the last um olympic gold medalists Every single one of them have siblings that yeah. are older than them. Yeah. Which I always find interesting. And you're that's sort of alluding to that as well. That's amazing, that, because I'd never really thought about it in that way until you got me to explain it then. But, yeah, I think that is a massive thing. And I think the fact I was, I was always really good hand-eye coordination, hand-ball-eye coordination. I was always anything like you you give me a, a ping pong ball and say get it in that cup I'll always go close yeah um 
But I think the fact that I played every single ball sport helped. It wasn't okay. like, like you're just playing golf. I was basketball, cricket, I was the bowler, rugby, you know, all these games, tennis, squash, they're all hand-eye ball coordinated. So the more I played at them, the better I got at the better I got at them all. And then when I focused it down to three, the ones that I loved, football, tennis and golf, I got even better at them. What, what age were you when you did that? Oh, I was, uh, I was training at, I was training at York City. So I'll have been probably about 14. Okay. 15. And then you did, did it come to the point where you had to make a decision? Right. It's, it's, soccer slash football or it's um yeah it was golf. it was football or football or golf and and I always knew I loved golf more because I used to play 54 hours a day seven days a week in the school holidays <laughs> and when I was training at York I used to I used to be on the artificial pitch looking at the ground going god this would be lovely to it off <laughs> do you know what I mean really? okay yeah so, so you basically you you picked what you loved that was... Yeah, I never got pushed into it at all. I chose that, like, this is what I want to do because I enjoy it the most. Your dad being a footballer, you think he was disappointed or he wanted you to stay on at York City or was he excited when you, you sort of opened up a different avenue for the sport within the family? A bit of both, really. My, dad's, my dad loves his football and he'd have liked to have seen me. I knew and he knew that I would never have made it at a, at a massive level. So when I chose golf, I, I think he was really pleased because already by then he'd had a lot of people saying, my God, your lad's got something. He's really good. So, so, so at this point, you're what? You're like 16, 17? 15-ish, just before, uh, just before I leave school, 14, 15, I'd say. And then you, you left school. Did you go full-time golf straight away or did you do anything else? Or what, no, or I did. Full-time amateur. I used to, I went full-time amateur. My dad supported me as much as I could, as much as he could. I um, got myself a little winter job and served, um, saved up as much money as I could. And then I'd always go away January, February, go and get myself ready for the season and then come back and, and play. And... Yeah, I mean, I used to, I used to enjoy it. I used to, I'd, I probably looking back now, I wish I'd worked a little bit harder. But you know, I achieved everything in the amateur game that I wanted to. So maybe, maybe I did just the right amount. What, what did you, what did you achieve, Simon, in the amateur game? Just for the people that are listening, what, what was uh, your career? Yeah, I played, I played for my county. I played for Yorkshire um, boys and men. And I played for England, boys and men. I was unbeaten for England uh, in my time, my two and a half years for England. And I played Walker Cup. So Walker Cup was the goal. I got offered a few university scholarships to go over there to America. And I just thought, I felt that the, the correct route would be to play in all the uh, amateur events in the UK. So that's what I did. But fortunately, my dad, you know, helped me do that by financially supporting it. Awesome. So you, you go through this. What, what age did you turn professional? Oh, I was 20 when I turned pro. 20, so that's pretty young. Yeah, it was back then. I mean, you see some lads now. Yeah, sorry, I just turned 21. I just turned 21. So you see some lads now. I mean, you know, they come through the ranks. They're, they're turning pro 17, 18, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but I, do you know what? I didn't. I achieved what I wanted to. I only won once as an amateur, but it was a really good bedding for me. You know, I progressed nicely. It wasn't like I was come out of school and then bang, you're in England and walk a cup, right, I'll turn pro. I progressed nicely. Yeah. Um, and then the next step up was obviously turn pro. So I did. And I missed out on my European tour card. And my coach at the time, Pete Cowan, who a lot of people will have heard of, he got some money together for me to go and play Asia. And he was like, right, I've got you some money. Go and see if you can get your card in Asia. So I did. Awesome. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about that transition. At this time, how are you, how are you feeling? Because obviously, as a kid, you loved this sport, right? Yeah. You obviously love the sport of golf. And you obviously love to compete. 
and you've referenced having an older brother as one of those things that that drove you to compete and you've got yeah. a certain level of hand-eye coordination so you feel like you can develop skills so you've got this mindset this growth mindset that i can get better i love to compete and i love this sport and then you, you go through and your goal is to play the walker cup which is about as higher achievement as any amateur golfer can get yeah um and then you turn professional do you still have this same level of love and passion and, and energy and, and desire to compete or does it change because i think for a lot of people it does change when they go professional i think um, you're right i think it does and i'll be 100 percent honest with you ian it didn't change one bit i didn't care one bit about the money of side of things because I remember in the final stage I finished second and I never even thought about it and I got a check for like three thousand two hundred dollars and it was the biggest surprise and I was so happy with it but I it was never about the money it was just about playing and having a chance to play in Asia somewhere I'd never been before having the chance to go and play and try and win a tournament and my, I remember my first tournament that I won Macau Open I didn't have a clue how much it was for <laughs> didn't have a clue I just remember beating Marco O'Meara down the stretch wow. and that was good enough for me yeah so you and still then, yeah ignorance is bliss in some ways right you're like yeah I couldn't agree more couldn't yeah. agree more yeah well you know myself and you we spend a lot of time coaching people to just focus on the process because that's what you control and and don't think of the outcome and most people really struggle to do that but you you seem to have this ability to do it almost naturally at this stage of your of your career correct yeah i think it never yeah it never got to the stage where it was about money and it never got to the stage where it was about right this is what i need to do it was all about just enjoying it and Pete made my sessions enjoyable. And, you know, I had a good caddy at the time, really nice guy called John Roberts. And we had a good time and I, and I enjoyed it. And we used to travel and go out to Asia. And I know it's a long way, but I just remember how I used to feel getting on that plane. I'm like, nice one. Another, I'm in Singapore this week. I can't believe I'm in Singapore. So you were always very grateful for it as well, right? You very, never- very. That's awesome. There's so, there's like, and we speak about, okay, like David Beckham, or we speak about Ronaldo, or we speak about Tom Brady. I'm sure they're all the same. I'm sure they are. They love it. Dave, you can, David Beckham just loved it, right? Just loved yeah. um, playing football. Loved Old Trafford. Loved Manchester United. Brady... I've got- I've got a Scalzi on on Friday on my Instagram live. Now there's your perfect man who just loved playing football. Yeah. He didn't actually necessarily like a lot of the stuff that attracts people to football, like the fame and fortune, did he, outside of the game? He he sort of shied away from that stuff. Not at all. I mean, he built a house up in the hills and literally as soon as Fergie went, right, that's it, training's done. He was in his car and off behind his his gates in his house, you know, to be with his family. He, yeah. he, he was never, never one of those. And I, I, I've heard a story about him renegotiating a contract and Man United were like, right, we're going to offer you this. And he went, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And just signed it and walked off. <laughs> because he was happy. And, he and, didn't care. And that's the thing, right? We, we, you were obviously happy. You loved the... Tr- so now, even if you add to it, you, you love to compete. You've obviously got a level of skill and a belief that you can get better. You've got a coach that you, that you love, that you love being around, that's, that's helping you out. Um, and now you're combining, you love to travel and you yeah. love being away, being around in all these different countries. Did you have to almost like at times pinch yourself to be like, wow, this is, is this even real? Yeah, I used to begin, the, and then I got my card, tour card. So I played Asia 2000 uh, and I won the Order of Merit. So that got me into final stage of tour school uh, for the European tour. And then I got my card there as well. So all of a sudden I had 
Asian, European, and because I'd won the Asian, I had a Japanese tour card as well. So in 2001, I'm playing Europe, but the beginning of Europe used to go two weeks in SA, four weeks in Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, Dubai, Qatar. So you'd be away for wow. 10 weeks, and it was the highlight of my year. I wow. used to love it, packing a massive suitcase, leaving, that, leaving my house, knowing I won't be back for 10 or 11 weeks because I was with my mates traveling to some of the best places in the world and it didn't feel like a job. It almost felt a bit like a jolly. And when did you get your first win on the European tour? Cause that's like the big stage, right? Yeah. When did that come along? How old were you? Uh, it wasn't till 2006. I had some chances. I had a couple of really good chances. Um, one, I was leading going into final round in Portugal and I hit a post on about the sixth hole and it went out of bounds from one of the spectator posts. Okay. And I, I never recovered. I, I struggled to forget about it. Yeah. And then there was another, I was six clear going into the last round and I was really nervous and uh, you could tell I'd lost my lead after like 10 holes. And w what were you nervous about? Because obviously prior in in this chat prior it's like i didn't worry yeah. about money i didn't worry about the results i just loved it i just loved to compete and i loved to be out there with my mates yeah but what did something change did you did you lose sight of that a little and when you were leading in the totally round or? totally in 2000 i think it was 2002 or 2003 i lost my card i lost my plane rights okay so, but only just. So I still got in some tournaments and because of my five-year exemption for Asia, I yep. got back into, I got into the tournaments in Asia. So it was the Volvo China Open. I was six clear. And the night before I got texts off three people who I hadn't heard from for a while and who were quite, you know, important in my golfing yeah. career. I won't say who they are. But they were like, your life's going to change tomorrow. And things like that. And I'm, I'll, I, slept, I didn't sleep at all. So I'm yeah. thinking, oh my word, my life is going to change tomorrow. Instead of just putting, do you know what? Do what you've done for the last three days and go and really enjoy it. You deserve to be where you are. Yeah. They were like, your life's going to change tomorrow. So, um, you know, when you win, when you do this, when... And I, it was like my head was absolutely mashed. Yeah. And yeah, after 10 holes, I was one behind. But luckily, I finished second and there was enough money to, for me to get my card back. So that was the main aim, really. Awesome. And then, so then you, you have these couple of adverse events. Now, you, you say you love um, the travel and the, are you with your, your girlfriend or your wife no. at the time? Do you have any kids? No, not at this point. Still, um, yeah, still living in Manchester, but no, no kids at this point. And then, and then, so you then get your, you get back on the tour and you get your first win, correct? Yeah, in 06. And um, it was basically all thanks to Nick Doherty because Nick Doherty won his first event in 05. Yeah. And he had an unbelievable year. He finished top 20 order merit. He earned way over a million euros in 2005. And basically, he was one of my best pals. I mean, he was an usher at my wedding, was Doe. Yeah. But I just pulled him to one side and said, can I grab a coffee with you? And he's like, yeah, of course you can. So I pulled him to one side and I just said, I just pecked his head. What have you done differently? And he told me everything that I'd done and I finished that season, I thought, right, I need to do that. And I did. And I won within three months. And what were the type of things he was saying? Was it sort of to do with um, the skill of golf or was it off the golf course or like what? What was... It was more off, off the golf course. Off the golf course and at tournaments, basically. So it, off the golf course, he... Changed his diet, changed what he ate. Wow. Just started eating better, stopped drinking. Because um, he used to he used to like a drink, did dough. <laughs> as many golfers on the European yeah. tour. As they still do. Yeah, so he that's what he did. Uh, at golf tournaments, he 
he practiced a little less, played a little bit more. He, um, yeah, and just changed his attitude a little bit, really. And just, I suppose he, he, he brought acceptance into it a bit more. You know, he's, he, he finally realised that, why am I bashing my head trying to hit the perfect shot every time when I probably only hit two of them every round? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just sat with him and it was really interesting. So straight away, I looked at what I ate. I cut out, I was always quite hyper anyway. So I cut out caffeine. I got yeah. rid of coffee. I got rid of Coke. Uh, started drinking loads more water. I went to see a nutritionist. She put me on these uh, organic green powders, uh, pH drops to up my hydration. Just little things like that. But all these little steps added to a big change. And Because yeah. I used to finish a golf to- tournament or a golf round, and my last three or four holes, I'd be on my knees. Now, I'm a 24-year-old lad at this point. I should be bouncing around. Yes. Uh, and I was making silly mistakes, so straight away that changed. And I'd finish a tournament and I'd think, I could go for a run now. I'm, I feel that energetic. Wow. And that was the big difference. And you know what you feel like when you feel fit. You, your brain works properly. You start making correct decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, you again, we'll, we'll go. you love being out there. You love competing. You um, are very, very grateful to, to have this as, as your career, to be basically earning good money through playing a sport, which is your passion. Um, yeah. uh, and now you're sort of becoming a little bit more professional. I think that's fair to say. Like you're looking at all other areas that you can potentially yeah. use to to get that first win and within doing that um getting some advice off a off a real good friend that's in similar situations to you that's won off doing that you you get your first win so there's lots of things in here that are that are going in in your favor if you like but i really think the one that stands out is how much you love it yeah how passionate you are about travel playing the sport competing did, did that continue all the way? Because you went on and you had six wins. I did. Um, and, and when you had to walk away from the sport, was the love still there or had it, had it evaporated a, a little bit? Like what, what was that situation? When did you know it was the right time to, to walk away? Because I imagine, and, and I, I coach golfers obviously that are in that position, I've had some very, very frank and abrupt conversations with some, especially college golfers, female college golfers and their parents. I've had some very abrupt conversations with like, it's a a reality that they're never going to hit a golf ball after college. It's a reality that they might not play the final year. And the parents like get tears in their eyes and, you know, at some point, this journey is, is going to end, right? It's inevitable. Yeah. We just don't know when. So when did you know? When did, were you like, man, I, I don't love it anymore, or unfortunately, it's got to come to an end? When, when did you know that? There was a couple of things that um, were involved in that, I would say. The, the incident that I had in China in 2013, where I got accused of something, that I knew I'd never, ever would do. And I got accused of it. And there was a few pros, well, yeah, a few pros who wanted my head on a, on a splint, basically. Yeah. They wanted, I, they wanted to be made an example of. And they told I had to follow it through. And they went for me. Yeah. And they made me fall in love. They made me fall out of love with the game. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I did my wrist. So all of a sudden I had nine, 10 months off with my family Yeah, and I loved every minute of it. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So that che- That's what changed that as well. So how old I, were the girls then? Oh, they were only young. They were only young. Um, I mean, they're eight and four now. So that was, 
2015, I did my wrist. So six, so Lottie hadn't even been born, but all of a sudden, because I remember going away quite a lot when my little one, when my, sorry, my eldest was like two or three and I'd come home and she'd run away from me. And all of a sudden I'm at home for nine, 10 months. I'm spending all the day with them. I'm spending loads of time with them. We're getting, we're all getting on great. And all of a sudden I had a relationship with my family that I'd never had. Okay. And it was a big eye opener. And I just thought, do you know what? There's more to life than this. I've done well out of the game, but people, certain people, certain companies have made me fall out of love with the game. Yeah. Um, and then I did my wrist. I came back and I went with a different attitude. All of a sudden, instead of wanting to enjoy it and have fun, it was about, technique and money and I'm like right I need to start earning some money I've not earned for 10 last 10 months I need to start earning some money to start so we can do this and that and so all of a sudden my my attention shifted and it was so detrimental to me it's frightening yeah and I'd miss a cut and I'd be like oh nice one I can go home the minute you start feeling like that it's time to hang up the hang up your boots so I played challenge tour and then I worked with a life coach for 12 weeks on the transition because I knew it was coming up. And I, th- and I said, I, you know, I might not need the help, but I'd rather have it. I, I just, can, I, can I interject this, Simon? I think that is a phenomenal thing that, that you did there because it's got to be the hardest thing for a professional athlete to step oh, up. And totally. I, I read more and more and more about... Um, depression on the European tour about depression on cricket. It got rife in cricket a few years ago with the guy yeah. out and, and talking about it. And, you know, you've been in this world, people have idolized you, you've earned a lots of money. And then all of a sudden, literally the very next day, you don't do that anymore. Yeah. How that imp- can impact on a person is ridiculous. And I almost, I wouldn't say I feel bad for professional athletes because they obviously live great lives and they have choices that they can make. But I think they need more education to make these choices that, that you've made. Again, yeah. it's that, that growth mindset. Like, this is nothing dissimilar to the conversation you had with Nick Doherty, right? You're just yeah, exactly. trying to get information so then you can action and be the best version of yourself. And I think if anyone, listening to this um, could action something from it. It is that it, it speak to more people, get guidance, get, get coaching. Um, yeah. The amount of people that will get a guitar coach or a golf coach or a football coach. Yeah. The most important thing is your happiness in your life and no yeah. one's coaching in it. Yeah. So I, I think that's awesome. Sorry to interrupt, please. No, you're all right. You're all right. I just, I just remember I like to bring, you know, a lot of the stuff we worked on, I like to bring that into when I get a new player, when I get a new player on board and there's certain questions I want to ask them. And I do ask them. Um, There's certain things I love. She was, I'd, I'd always done it a little bit, but she got me to write down everything. Yeah. How much sleep I got what I had for breakfast, what I did in the gym, what I had for lunch, how am I feeling, affirmations, gratitude, uh, what do you have for dinner, what do you watch before you went to bed, how did it make you feel, bang. And I started this, I explained to her how I felt, because the, the other stuff, the wrist injury and the China incident, was still kind of playing on my mind. Yeah. So I'd write it all down, and I'd talk to her and tell her, tell her it all. And after four weeks, so four sessions, she's opened up a pad and she's gone, oh, wow, I've just turned, I've just turned to our very first session. And she started reading it and she was like, wow. I went, what? She went, it's just very different. I said, go on, read it to me. And she read it back to me, our very first session. And, and I looked at her, honestly, Ian, and I said to her, who's that? She went, it's you. I went, wow. sure. I went, was I that bad? She went, yeah. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Four weeks that took. 
But mate, imagine in four weeks, look at the progress you made. Imagine you, imagine you ruminate on the first session and don't speak with anyone. And that stuff is growing around in your mind, just ticking yeah. over, ticking over. It's no wonder that people, you know, there's statistics that yeah. I don't know, something like 83% of people um, don't love their job. Yeah, I know. It's, that's, that's so concerning to me. Like you've always done what you've loved. And then yeah. as well as doing what you've loved, you've always seek guidance and advice. Now, people listening to this, a lot of them won't do what they love and won't seek guidance and advice. Yeah. And we have a, a, a pandemic of depression. Yeah. So, and, and it's not surprising, is it? If you listen to this podcast, no. you've lived a great life and you've always done what you've loved and you've always had a growth mindset, seek guidance, seek advice. And I feel so sad for people that do what they don't love yeah, and don't get help. Because at this point, you're no longer a European tour player, right? You're Simon Dyson, the, the, the father, the husband, yeah. the holy smoke, I need a job kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unless so, like, uh, you know, Justin Rose, who will probably never have to work ever again. Yeah. You know, you see these lads. I mean, God, lads I'm go- I've gone all my career with, you know. I, speak- I still speak to some of them now, and they're struggling. Like, you yeah. know, financially. Yeah. And you yeah. think, well, what have, you know, first thing I think is, well, what have you done with your money? But then you remember, like, you, you do well in a tournament, you pay the tax man half of it, you pay your manager a quarter of it, you pay, you, oh, sorry, 10% of it, you pay your caddy 8% of it. So all of a sudden, it might look, oh, blah, 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 has earned 20 million in his career, but it'll be a fraction of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when, and do you know what? When you're earning it, you never think it'll end. Yeah. And that's, that's the trouble, but... Yeah, I just, I just love being, I love talking to people who are more educated than I am because, you know, even in the golf swing, I, I know the golf swing well, but, and I know how the mind works now, but, you know, speaking to you, speaking to Stuart Morgan, people like that, you just, you open my eyes to new ways of thinking and that's all the life coach did for me. She opened my eyes into thinking about things differently. Like she'd say, you know, when you're on the golf course, do you get mad? I'm like, yeah. She's like, why? I went, well, no, I can do better. She went, are you not trying your hardest? I went, of course I am. She went, but if your girls were trying their hardest, would you speak to them like that? And I went, no, no way. She went, it has the same effect when you speak to yourself like that, though. Love it. It's It's like somebody's saying it to you. I was like, does it? She went, yeah. She went, so start being nice to yourself. And that's what the affirmations were all about. Mate, it's amazing when I speak to, and and look, I got to give you credit and and other people that I've had on this show because this makes me better. This is like therapy for me, you know. When I do this this show, it's like therapy for me and I listen. And I'm already in my mind like, you know, I do do what I love. So pat on the back yeah. there. Am I getting any mind coaching? A little bit through my podcast and I'm, I'm in networks and I speak with people. Am I writing enough down? No, absolutely not. My no, no, I'm not either. Yeah, my journaling has not been good. I need to reaction that. And that's yeah. something that I'm going to do off the back of this. I've just basically told myself how powerful it is. <laughs> four weeks and I'm like yeah I'm not doing it though <laughs> but you know but we're, we're all human and I, and I think the people that listen to this podcast what, what I'm most proud about is we can give some advice like look go do what you love is that going to happen overnight no we're not asking you to quit your job and you know file for unemployment and do xyz go try and launch a, a red bull rocket to the moon we're not asking you to do that overnight it takes time but start a new hobby find a passion do something that you love maybe book a session with um 
a, a life coach, maybe start journaling. These are all things that, that you can action because what you're saying is so similar to what Martin Hall's saying. And I came off the podcast with Martin Hall and I was pumped and I was energized. Yeah. I'm going to come off this podcast with you and I'm going to be pumped and I'm going to be energized and my day is going to be better because yeah. you're, you're giving an insight into what successful people do. They do what they love. They seek guidance and advice. And they're always trying to get better. And one of the biggest things that you did was, was journaling. You wrote that down. You wrote stuff down that then helped you make that transition from being a, a professional golfer to, well, who, who you are now, a, a father, a, a yeah. husband, yeah. friend to many, and a, a, a performance coach. So before we, before we wrap up, Simon, tell us a little bit about bit more about why you do this coaching. Why do you spend your time up in the north of England in the rain and the wet, out That's on the golf course? What are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> out on the golf course with, with your students. What, do you, what is it that, that drives you to do that? I think it's just my mentality as well. And... I just like helping people. I've always really liked helping people. I, I've, and I feel like I've got such a good insight into the game that I just want to share it. It'd be a bit of a waste if I just kind of, you know, put it in a room and never spoke about it again and didn't try and help people. Because for every 10 people that don't want to learn, think they know it all, there's probably 20 who do want to learn. So... I'm, I'm more than happy for them to come and see me. And even if they want to ring me and just say, can I have a chat with you? Like I've got a guy on on Thursday, I've just phone call and he just wants to talk to me about what he thinks I pretty similar to this, but it's just a phone call. So maybe he might come down and see me after that, but I don't mind it because I like helping people. And I know that when I used to get something out of a session with Pete and I'd go and do well, I knew Pete was as as happy for me as I was. And it's the same with me. Like, I've got a few players now. And when I see them doing well, it's like I'm doing well. Yeah. And that's the, that's the best thing about it, really. And I love coming up like you do your golf outs and things like that. I love making my own stuff up and thinking about different types of sessions that I can do to keep it interesting. And... Uh, yeah, and just try and help them. You know, that's that's all you can do is try and help them. But you've, you know, you've got a, you've got to kind of look at them. Everybody's different. We know that, and you've just got to try and look at them and see how you can help them the best instead of oh, it's just a method of teaching. This is my method. Everybody gets taught like this. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of what I do and what. I know you do very well and what Stuart does very well. You know, everybody's different. So someone might be spend a month on working on their irons and you put them through challenges with their irons because they hit every fairway. And then someone might miss every fairway. So you, do, you have a couple of weeks with just the driver. And that's the beauty of it. You can change it. You can really change it up, can't you? Yeah. And do you, how does it compare to playing? I, like, I... I... I played college rugby and I wasn't very good and I failed quite. So I, I failed very early. Well, not very early, but quite early on in, in my journey. My dad was a, similar to your dad, my dad was a very, very good rugby player, played for Leicester, played for a good team in, in Nottingham uh, and then went on to be a very highly regarded uh, rugby coach. So I was brought up in that environment. I was good at every sport when I was young. Um, I started to develop sort of average habits when I was yeah. about 15, 16, I, I, I started to become more average. Um, I, w I never had someone like me or like you to fire me up, to guide me. I, I did. It was my dad, but that's a very hard role for my dad because he's rugby coach. I think he was cricket coach at a time. Um, he was junior golf organizer. He was my dad. You know, he was a disciplinarian. So he, I never had that external 
um, hey, you can do this. This is what a process focus is. Why don't you do some journaling? What? I never had that. So I developed these average habits and, and I failed pretty quickly, but I still miss being in the changing rooms with the lads, even when it was 18, 19 years old and I was playing college rugby, even though I wasn't performing to that higher level, it was still fun. And there were still elements that I miss about uh, team sports that I wish I'd had more of. So the reason I'm saying that is, how does what you do now compare to the to the European tour? Do you do you love it with the same amount of passion, with the same amount of drive, or is it different? Is it do you love it more because you get more time with your family? I, I just want to really just yeah. pick pick your brain on that question, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I think it's a bit of both. If I'm honest, I love it. I love the. The thing I loved about the golf was the challenge, the build-up to that Thursday morning when you teed off. Yeah. And I think the thing I love about the coaching is also the challenge. Like you say, everybody's different. Right? How can I get him to be at his peak for when he goes and plays this certain tournament? I love getting new people in. I love getting them on the course. I love seeing that light bulb moment in the players. When you say to them, do you know what? It isn't as hard as you think it is. This is how you hit this shot. This is how you hit that shot. So that's all we're going to work on. And I want to see you be put through your challenges. And they work on those two shots. And then all of a sudden, you just see, you see them go, my God, no one's ever explained it to me like that. Yeah. And I think it, me and you were chatting you know, everyone talks about how oh, oh, golf's one of the hardest games you'll ever play. Can you imagine if you got a group of 100 kids and all you ever told them was, golf's the easiest game in the world. All you have to do <laughs> is get a ball into that hole. Yeah. we. Can you imagine the mindset and how they grow up and that's all they're surrounded by, people saying how easy it is? We, I mean, yeah, they would believe that, right? Self they wouldn't. And that's what I'm trying to tell these players. It's not as hard as you think it is. We just make it hard for ourselves. Yeah, well, that's, that's what humans tend to, tend to do with what everything, do. right? And they go to, for the negativity as well in everything. You know, yeah. I like that. I like that one where after every shot, get a card, write down what was good about your shot. What did you, what did yeah. you like about that shot? Nothing. Right, don't write anything then. Yeah. Nothing is better than negativity. Yeah. Oh, but, oh, God, I hit that nice. That was a lovely fade. Right, write it down. And then you look at the end of the round, quite a lot of good shots there. Well, well mate, I, I can tell from the way that you talk about, coach, like this podcast could go on for another hour, two hours, yeah. if you start going down, down the coaching route. And I know we're going to film uh, a conversation after this with uh, Zach Parker. Zach yeah, yeah, with uh, Zach on junior golf. So, mate, what? What I want to do, um, you obviously love helping people and I don't want like an influx of 10,000 uh, emails or anything like that. Um, well, that would be great for me because it would mean 10,000 people listen to this podcast. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I want to do is, you know, I offer a 30-minute power call. Anyone who listens to the podcast can get a 30-minute power call with me. And yeah. so far... I've had two people, I've only been doing the podcast a couple of months, I've had two people book their power call and then both have booked further coaching off me. Brilliant. Uh, so it's worked well. So what I want to do is, uh, if it's okay, if someone has a question, can yeah. they contact you on Instagram? Can they email awesome. you? Yeah, can you give your details? Maybe you can do a... a it could be a free power call if the, the client is the right fit, or it could just be a message back. But where can people contact you to pick your brain? Because honestly, yeah. Simon, the, there's gold dust in this podcast. There's yeah. Gold dust that people can apply into their life. So if someone listens to it and wants a little bit more help, like you got throughout your whole career, absolutely. where, where can they contact you? Uh, Again, go on to Instagram, go on to Simon Dyson Golf, follow me and then drop me a, um, a direct message. Uh, I will get back to you. Yeah, and if you want to have a little chat, you know, I'll, uh, I'll gladly give you my email address through Instagram and um, 
actually, I'll give you it now. It's inquiry at elitegolfperformance.co.uk. So either drop me a message on Instagram or drop me an email through that email address. Well, mate, I, I, I did the podcast with Martin Hall and I, I decided that success is no accident. And I'm, I'm drawing the same conclusion from you. If, if you do what you love, if you have a growth mindset and you're always exploring how to try and get better, if you action those things um, and, you know, just constantly be looking to self-improve like you were when you had the chat with Nick Doherty, you went and action stuff with your diet, like yeah. you were when you had the chat with the, the mind coach in, in just four weeks, the, the journaling that you were doing completely turned your mindset around. So, you know, I think anyone listening to this, we know that willpower doesn't work. You have to make changes to your environment. So yeah. do, what, do what Simon did. Reach out and include someone else in your environment. Reach out to Simon. Reach out to me. Um, book your free 30-minute power call. Reach out to a friend. Uh, start journaling. But you have to put something tangible in your environment if you truly want to make positive change. Simon, it, it's been awesome. Uh, I love your passion. I love your energy. I love chatting to you. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for giving up your time. And I, I'll say, I know we'll connect very soon. We'll connect again in about 15, 20 minutes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, but mate, thanks. I, I'm exactly the same wavelength. I can't thank you enough. I've spoke to you a lot in the last 18 months. And just, um, I thank you a lot for the help you give me and help me get better as a coach myself. And I think we can help each other along the way massively. Absolutely, mate. We're all on this journey together. So en enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, you too, I'll, I'll catch up with you very soon, buddy. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Cheers, Ian. Bye-bye. You've just taken a step forward to making a positive change in your life. That's right. You're one step closer to leaving frustration, stress, and anxiety behind. This was the Beyond the Mind podcast. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Into your world.